Okay, welcome back, everyone. This is DC Washout Podcast, episode four. Stephanie March is not here this week, so I'm sitting in the chair hosting. As always, we're joined by Zoe Daniel. Hello. And... Michael Vincent. And that is the three for today. We're going to break down what's ahead for the presidential election this week. The campaign is heading south. So starting off, South Carolina, we're moving south. And Zoe, you'll be joining them down there as of tomorrow. Very much looking forward to it. I hear there's great cuisine in South yes. Carolina. You, you were there recently. Do tell. Yeah, I went for a culinary tour of Charleston, which was delicious. Great seafood, great southern barbecue cooking. So if you get some time, you will certainly enjoy it. I'll give you a list. Very good. I'm doing the cuisine tour of the USA, <laughs> which is not a bad thing, actually. Michael Vincent, thoughts on South Carolina? Oh, look, uh, I was fascinated at the start of this week to hear that South Carolina is going to be the dirtiest, nastiest election place so far. Mm-hmm. And um, so far, it's 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 not actually the politics of the place. It's the candidates who have been pretty downright outrageous. Look at um, Donald Trump. Of course, you'd expect him to to come out and say something outrageous. But he's gone after Jeb. He's gone after Jeb's brother. He's gone after T- Ted Cruz. There's lawsuits now being thrown around. The only person I haven't seen him go after is, is uh, Rubio, and that's fascinating. I don't know why. Um, Rubio's kept his, his nose clean and, and it's uh, kept it out of the fray in terms of uh, Donald Trump, and that is fascinating. But, yeah, it's going to be – I think you're going to have a fantastic time on Saturday night. Winners, losers, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's a really interesting dynamic when you start looking at the stats uh, this week. Obviously, we've had, you know, a couple of events now, so uh, at least a couple of victories, a couple of losses, and you have to start thinking about where the momentum is and where it goes from here. Donald Trump way up in South Carolina, also appears to be way up in Nevada, although the polling in Nevada is very sketchy. Not a lot of polls are done there. And then on the Democrat side, uh, Hillary Clinton looking for a big victory in South Carolina, but then in Nevada, really battling Bernie Sanders. It looks like a 1% margin between them. And that coming for the Democrats before South Carolina is going to hurt Hillary again. So all of these dynamics playing together this week. Oh, look, I think... I mean, for me, yeah, Hillary versus Bernie, that's going to burn for a long time, I know, pun intended. Um, I, I really am interested in who's next in terms of the Republicans, and you've got um, still six candidates in the race, and Ben Carson's got to be out of it after South Carolina. If he doesn't get any anywhere near, you know, anything more than 5 6%, he's got to be out. I, I mean, he might hang around till after Nevada, but surely he'll go out, and you, you'll expect him to say something about how you know how horrible the media's been to him and how little attention's been paid to him, but that would then leave five. And I've done the numbers um, on current polling out of uh, South Carolina. Uh, Donald Trump, 35%. Um, if you gave, say, you know, Carson's numbers to, uh, say, Ted Cruz, and you gave the moderates, Kasich and Jeb, to Rubio, Trump 35, Rubio 35, Cruz 25. Yeah, this is a really interesting thing, isn't it? When you start considering whether Trump, Cruz and Rubio are the three... And as you say, if those others drop out, where those numbers flow to, Rubio's kept his nose clean. He still remains the most moderate option. Uh, he tripped a little uh, over the last couple of weeks, but he's he's sort of going along okay. It's almost like if he doesn't stuff up too badly, he'll he'll still be there. He's, and he got the endorsement just today of uh, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, which is a big one. She wasn't going to endorse anyone. So he's kept very quiet and now he's got a, a major endorsement down there as well. So things are looking pretty good for him. Vice presidential 
perhaps she's looking for a way onto the ticket. I mean, I've seen that thrown around a little bit in the media. Zoe, can you explain to us a little bit about the types of voters in the South and why it's so different and why the whole presidential campaign opens up when it moves south after Iowa and New Hampshire? Yeah, so I've been looking at some demographic numbers today and it's actually really interesting when you go and drill down into who actually lives in these states. So we've had New Hampshire and Iowa both more than 90% white um, Iowa, very much a farming state. Uh, New Hampshire, very much your, your moderate uh, white bread kind of state. You move to South Carolina, you've suddenly got 68% white, uh, basically 30% uh, African-American and Hispanic. Same in Nevada, slightly uh opposite demographic in that there's more Latino than African-American voters in Nevada, but again, about 30% um, who would not describe themselves as white in that state. Now, you've obviously got um, that much higher racial diversity, uh, people looking for different things. Uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders on the Democrat side will be really trying to pull in people who voted for Barack Obama, for example. If you look at 2008 in South Carolina, more than half of people who voted in the Democratic primary were African-Americans. It's a very powerful uh, group. Then on the Republican side, you've got Donald Trump almost counterintuitively dragging in uh, those African-American and Latino voters. Michael Vincent, thoughts on that? Well, let's let's hear. I mean, MSNBC uh, got uh, the South Carolina Attorney General, Alan Wilson, on. Let's hear what he had to say, that what voters were telling him about the the Trump factor. Donald Trump has tapped into a common theme in every single demographic of the Republican base, whether it's the more moderate, uh, liberal, uh, evangelical base of the party. He's tapped into the anger of the party. Every single part of the uh, base has uh, has some anger to it. And I was talking to a gentleman a few weeks ago, and I asked him, and he told me he was wearing a Trump hat. I said, now, why are you supporting Mr. Trump? And he said, because he's my middle finger to the establishment. Yeah, well, you can't really follow that with much. Um, you, that That is a theme of this this entire campaign, um, sticking it to the establishment, and you know, yet another uh, yet another example, I guess, in in South Carolina uh, coming up this weekend, and um, it would be interesting to see how that plays out in Nevada as well. Oh. Oh, we're out of time. We're out of time. <laughs> that, that's Hillary Clinton uh, barking like a dog at, at one of her uh, campaign <laughs> rallies this week. Anyone care to explain that? Oh, People, look, at the end of this campaign, this election, there, there will be a list of complete cock-ups, and that would go down <laughs> as one of those ones, along with please clap from Jeb, Jeb Bush. Um, you know, the 542 you know, dozen insults by Donald Trump. Um, I mean, if it's TV, then of course it's his faces as well. Um, but, but, you know, maybe Rubio repeating the same thing millions of times. But why, if you're a presidential candidate, do you make animal noises? I know the point she was trying to make was if you, if you follow the, you know, what we need is a dog to follow the Republicans around. And every time they say something which is simply not true, that at this point she was making... Uh, at, at a rally was, you know, that the Republicans say that the last, you know, that the Great Recession was brought on by, you know, an over-regulation of the banks, that you have a dog to there, there to bark and, and, you know, call them on it. And for God's sake, she decided to bark. Yeah, I mean, it was, she was just trying to get a laugh from the crowd and it worked, but it's something that will now haunt her for the rest of her life, basically. Um, interesting, you talk about Donald Trump's insults. He, he threw one at uh, Jeb Bush uh, earlier today, which, you know, um, was kind of 
unkind uh, around the fact that Jeb Bush has finally gone from glasses to contact lenses. Uh, and he said, you know, it's far too late because he's only polling 1% in Nevada. Um, and, yeah, that was a bit mean. Can we touch on Jeb for a second here? Because Jeb's had this real transformation and he has been bullied by Donald Trump the whole way along. But even yesterday, his tweet, we're talking about gaffes and mistakes. He tweeted the picture of the gun, which was engraved Governor Jeb Bush. That went viral in a matter of minutes. A lot of mocking um, for Jeb there as well. What did you guys think of that, Michael? Well, what was the mocking you saw? I mean, well, the, the, the tweet he actually had was the picture, and then all he wrote underneath it was America. Now, he had gone to see a, a gun manufacturing business. Some people criticised him for doing that because it's a Belgian company. But, you know, it, it employs people in South Carolina, you know. So, But what were some of the, the mockings that you saw? Uh, one of my favourites had to be the replacement of Governor Jeb Bush with different engravings. So one I saw was, please clap, in inverted commas, which is, you know... Um, flashing back to something else Jeb did earlier in the campaign and also mocking him for previously flaunting the fact that he loves um, Apple products earlier in the campaign. <laughs> so now he's upgraded from Apple Watches to guns. So he's now true blue American. Speaking of Jeb Bush, I mean, it's interesting just in the previous part of this conversation that we're talking about, you know, the potential front runners on the Republican side and where the votes might come from and to and Jeb Bush was not factored into our thinking, um, which goes to Donald Trump's thoughts about 1% in Nevada. But Jeb Bush has, you know, welcomed his, his brother into the fray uh, this week. Interesting and debatable to see just how much impact that happens in South Carolina, where the Bush family has very strong uh, historical support. Certainly a lot of people turned out to George W. Bush's uh, speech on behalf of his brother. Uh, but how that works, uh, whether that works for or against Jeb Bush is yet another interesting dynamic. Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump basically said, why isn't your mum campaigning, um, you know, for, for the election? I mean, she, she's far more popular than him, um, Jeb Bush. Uh, her, his brother... Uh, despite the you know failings of his administration, is far more popular than Jeb, um, and you know they did deal with that kind of elephant in the room at the speech by attacking uh, Donald Trump. But maybe it's a little bit too too little too late. And to the point, to Donald Trump's point, Jeb Bush didn't acknowledge his family name. He simply was Jeb at exclamation mark. Uh, he fluffed those original comments about the Iraq War the three times he had to give an answer on that, and it really has been you know really hard road from him ever since to come back with any credibility. Now, he, he did make a better go of it in New Hampshire and the debate in New Hampshire uh, where, you know, you saw that him taking on um, Donald Trump and uh, really, you know, quite aggressively uh, defending his record and, and attacking Donald Trump worked, worked better for him. But um, whether he's got any chance from here on out is, you know, certainly South Carolina um, and then Nevada... You know, can he hang around till Florida, where it's you know quite a lot of delegates are in in, in the mix, ninety nine you know winner take all delegates. He's still not even polling better than Trump in Nevada, in 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 Florida, his home home state. So, you know, I think Jeb is, you know, Jeb. well, it's really sad. I mean, he 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 actually had to, um, he had to convince his wife he had a chance because she didn't want him to do this. Right. Right. So Understandable. Him- I mean, if you were, if your husband or wife, for that matter, said they were going to do this, uh, what would you say? <laughs> what, have do you not se- go I, there. Have you, have you seen her on the campaign trail? I haven't. It doesn't mean she hasn't been out there, but I haven't seen her. And um, I think that's one of those things that, you know, um, in, in, and it, Laura Bush was out there with George W. the other night and it just made me realise where was Jeb's wife? And, and it made me realise, you know, 
he's he's out there doing it, and I don't know that he's got any much you know much more, more much more in it. Um, it would be interesting to know um, from inside his campaign at what point they pull out. All right. Thank Hillary. you, Hillary. All now, right. we, so we do have to move on, but I really wanted to mention this amazing article that I was just reading from Politico. Now, this article was written a month ago uh, and is incredibly prescient where it basically said if Ted Cruz wins Iowa, uh, as many expect he will, which he did, um, Trump would need to finish a solid second, which he did, to hold together his lead in New Hampshire, which he did. Eight days later, Trump would need to win in New Hampshire, which he did, to defend his front-runner status heading into the vote in South Carolina, which he is. Uh, and Politico then goes on to say a month ago in this amazingly uh, prescient article that if he uh, was to win South Carolina and avoid embarrassment in the Nevada caucuses, uh, that would set him up to win big in the 12 Super Tuesday states. Uh, so we're on a watching brief uh, basically now. And, and on Donald Trump, uh, Barack Obama uh, made some very pointed remarks uh, this week, uh, unusually pointed for a sitting president uh, to speak out so directly against a, an up-and-coming presidential uh, hopeful. I'll leave it to you to speculate on how this whole race is going to go. Uh, I continue to believe Mr. Trump will not be president. And the reason is because I have a lot of faith in the American people. And I think they recognize that being president is a serious job. It's not hosting a talk show or a reality show. It's not promotion. It's not marketing. It's hard. Whoever's standing where I'm standing right now has the nuclear codes with them and can order 21-year-olds into a firefight and have to make sure that the banking system doesn't collapse and is often responsible for not just the United States of America but 20 other countries that are having big problems or are falling apart and are going to be looking for us to do something. And the American people are pretty sensible. And I think they'll make a, a, a sensible choice in the end. And Barack Obama was getting questioned quite heavily as well about the biggest story of the week here in America, which is the death of Justice Scalia. Uh, it happened on Saturday night for those of you who have been living under a rock. And basically, this is the death of one of the most conservative and influential justices of the Supreme Court of all time, the originalist. And now there is the Supreme Court front and centre in the presidential race because in America they do their nominations and confirmations of justices very differently. Isn't that right, Michael? And it doesn't look like it's going to be easy for President Obama to get a nomination up. The, look, for Australians, I, it, it's kind of hard to explain the significance of the death of Antony Scalia because he dominated for 30 years on the Supreme Court. Yes, OK. He was conservative. Yes, OK. Uh, made law by basically saying, unless it was in the Constitution, I'm not going to make law, um, and saying that you can't interpret stuff that, that's written, you know, that, that, you know, as you said, the originalist, the guy said, you know, the, the Constitution's dead, dead, dead. It, you can't interpret it other than the, other than the words on the page. Um, so as a bulwark to the sort of liberal judges on the, on the court. Um, having said that, now you've got this split court, four liberal, four, four conservatives, and the Senate... Within hours, Mitch McConnell said, no, 
I'm not going to appoint someone. It's a, an election year. That's it. It's over, done with. Obama said, well, actually, no, it's in the Constitution. I'm still president. Um, I will. Um, and it's been an absolute fight ever since. Now, the president is yet to nominate someone. Um, but the question is, would you want your name out there? Would you want to go through this fight? Would you want to basically have your reputation dragged through the mud ahead of potentially not even getting onto the Supreme Court? Right. Yet another fascinating twist. I've got to go to South Carolina. Talk to you next week. All right, guys. Have a good week. Thanks, guys.